Well, I've been thinking about the future Too young to pretend Russell's Reserve, aged 10 year, and then shipped off to Los Angeles because you wanted to make some movies. Good morning. Hey. Hey there. How are you? Welp. Could have been the other intro for this show. Welp. Um, here we are, Monday morning. I um, I was on vacation last week, hence, uh, hence no show. I was down the shore for the week. So... Um, Picked a, uh, I guess you could say, a good day to come back on Saturday, so uh, we could follow along with the chaos yesterday. The only thing I would say I'm thankful for this morning in the in regards to LeBron is the fact that he didn't drag this on for a week, and I didn't waste a fucking week refreshing Twitter every ten seconds, uh, only to have him choose the inevitable and honestly make a personal decision much more than a basketball decision so but i know you're the, our resident lebron hater so how are you feeling this morning is this vindication I, do you want to play vindicated no i'm disappointed oh yeah i thought you didn't so, want lebron um for for a long time i didn't and i came around to the idea mostly for for one pretty simple reason and that's been that my entire hope from the start, uh, or from I guess the end of the regular season through this point has been my number one target has been Kawhi Leonard. And I had resigned myself to the fact that the only way to get Kawhi was probably to get LeBron. Like, I kind of figured that they had to be a package. And your only shot, it seemed, to be able to re-sign Kawhi Leonard and prevent him from bolting to the Western Conference, specifically to the Lakers next year, was by creating a super team with Ben and Joe, potentially Markel Fultz, who were apparently the uh, three untouchables in any trade deal with San Antonio, and then LeBron and Kawhi. And, you know, that that dream's dead, and you can go a few different ways about it. Um, There's, I guess, the smallest chance that if you're the Sixers, you look at what happened with Paul George on the same day a year ago when Oklahoma City traded for his rights. It was a very well-known thing. It had gone through league circles that Paul George intended on signing with the Lakers in the summer of 2018. So every team who wants to acquire him, beware, he will not re-sign with your team. Then he played for Oklahoma City for a year. He built a relationship with Russell Westbrook. He built the ability to, you know, go on a, what will end up being, I think, a two-year deal, and then he'll opt out and he'll be eligible for, I want to say it's like a $200-plus million deal um, with 10 years of service in the league. It's amazing what can happen with a year. And so I, I don't know what will happen between now and the end of the offseason. still think San Antonio wants to trade Kawhi. And I know that nobody seems to want to uh, keep the option open uh, for fear that he's going to leave for the Lakers. Stephen A. Smith came out yesterday and said that it sounds like Kawhi could sit out the entire season and protest, which I think is total BS. Um, but you look at the way that the Lakers have built their team since acquiring LeBron. They've picked up a bunch of vets on one-year deals. It's very clear that they are, you know, poising themselves or or posturing, um, putting themselves in position to, you know, open up a, a spot. And if they can't acquire Kawhi via trade now, they'll pursue him in uh, the summer of 2019. The whole thing's disappointing, though, and I've I've got a lot of reasons to be disappointed, and the least of which is not what this does to the entire league. The Sixers have a much 
easier path to get to the top of the Eastern Conference. Um, the Cavs are obviously now out of that, but we're now in a weird situation where the the NBA is a super conference and a JV conference that has maybe two or three good teams. And as a fan of basketball, that's disappointing. And as somebody who's going to have to sit through a bunch of what are probably going to be terrible games against a conference that doesn't that has an identity crisis, I don't really know how to feel about it. And I'm not I'm not thrilled. Okay, so um, a lot to unpack there. Let's uh, let's start with the the LeBron Sixers portion first, and then uh, get into the ramifications, and then the league stuff, uh, and then and I'm sure Kawhi will work his way in there. Um, it's you know I guess it was always a long shot for for you know that LeBron was going to come here. Um, I always thought, I guess foolishly, that. I couldn't see a better basketball situation for him. And uh, I guess I really underestimated and should have listened more to high blood glucose level Brian Windhorse yesterday and, and in the weeks leading up to this. That, you know, LeBron really had a, has other interests here. And this was more about, I think this was more about Los Angeles. This was definitely more yeah. about Los Angeles than the Lakers. And you weren't wrong, though. You're... Your premise about I'm, it being the best basketball destination, you're totally right. It, but and that's the frustrating part. I mean, that is, absolutely. You know, and I, I always, I kind of never really liked LeBron, even when he won a few years ago. I was rooting for the Warriors then. Like, I, I j- he just always rubbed me the wrong way. I didn't, like, hate him. Respect, you know, obviously respected his abilities, liked watching him play. But he always rubbed me the wrong way. And then I would say over the last season or two, and especially this year, separate from him potentially coming to the Sixers. I it, it was so I was almost thankful to be able to say, "Hey, I'm able to watch this guy in his prime and I'm going to be telling my kids about this guy someday and seeing what he like really appreciative of his skill set and honestly thinking that he generally gets a bad rap." Um because he's 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 not a bad person. He doesn't have off the court issues. Um you know, I mean, he's the, a family man to the extent a superstar athlete can be a family man, you know, given their schedule and stuff like that. Um, you know, he does try and do charitable work, all that stuff. Um, so I really came around on him. And I was like, you know what? If this guy, and I guess in my head, and I guess in a lot of Sixers fans' heads, if this guy truly wants a, truly, I think he's better than Jordan, but if he really wants to check off that box significantly he's going to need a few more titles because that's always going to come up and i don't think that's the most fair way to judge a guy who's been the eight straight finals but that's how it will be done if he wants to win two or three more titles i thought by far his best chance would be come to philadelphia you have two you know look we're not going to sell people on this you have at least two young really good players and they probably would have been able to use him to lure Kawhi for at least a year if not Kawhi, then certainly Anybody else he really wanted, and we could figure out a way to crowbar in there. Uh, it just made so much sense. And there are also business opportunities. You know, working for guys, you know, some bona fide billionaires, um, you know, one guy who essentially runs the sports e-commerce landscape, and Michael Rubin, who though he's a minority owner. Uh, Joshua Harris certainly varied financial and entertainment interest. Um you know, he and LeBron both are partial owners, minority owners of EPL teams. 
Right, exactly. I mean, and and Joshua Harris has a, his companies have a ton of entertainment properties, which is something LeBron wants to be involved. In. Like, you know, they could have actually helped him from the business standpoint. All the things he's looking for in L.A., which he'll get. Um, you know, he there was an ownership group here that really could have helped him further his brand, his entertainment, all of that stuff. You're close to New York, like it's a major market. You're not playing under the shadow of Kobe. I mean, the, the Iverson cast a much smaller shadow than Kobe and Magic and those guys. Um, there's a lot less to overcome in that regard. It, it just made so much sense. And I guess for me, it was just so disappointing. I never wanted to hit somebody more than seeing Brian Windhorst on ESPN after after I went down saying, um, unlike Keith Pompey, who said this was no obligatory meeting, see Brian Windhorst say this was a courtesy meeting on the part of the Sixers. Um, that stung. I imagine that that stung for Joshua Harris and David Blitzer and Brett Brown and if anybody else went out there yesterday. I think you had to go. I, you know, if, even if there's a one percent chance, you, that's a flight you got to make. But um, you know that it sucks because this was the best basketball opportunity you're seeing with already. Now who knows what is going to happen with Kawhi, Kawhi or other players? But I mean, Lance Stevenson and Javale McGee and Lonzo Ball right now. Contavious Caldwell Pope. Signed oh a, tw- it's a twelve million dollar set- deal. Yeah, like uh, that's gonna be if, a mess. If nothing you else, talk- it made me feel see- that last last thing that 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 last part made me feel um, a little bit sympathetic to your view about LeBron being the GM. Because when I saw those signings come down last night, I was like, all right, well, at least we don't have to deal with this cast of misfits, you know, surrounding LeBron's orbit. Like he does seem to in- want to play around these sort of ridiculous deferential players who have you know high athletic you know some level of high athletic ability but you know poor discipline and and you know potentially poor basketball iq well contavious caldwell pope is represented by clutch lebron's agency whether or not like that that's so always ben one of the, Simmons, that's, so apparently yeah, that's not a thing no no no. but i'm saying like you know that that was part of that that 12 million dollar deal which i don't totally understand um here's here's the issue i guess going forward so I was I was so angry yesterday. Like I wanted to record last night because I just had I had so much fire coursing through my veins. And LeBron made a stupid basketball decision. There's no doubt about it. It was not this is not the best situation for him. But, you know, in in terms of I guess what he wants from the rest of his life, you know, his son is going into high school. His his son is reportedly going to be playing on a team with Scottie Pippen Jr. and Kenyon Marshall. No, not Kenyon Marshall. Uh Kenyon Martin Jr. And somebody else's fame, like somebody, like some other famous player's kid, Junior. Um, LeBron clearly is looking at the next chapter of his career, and that's fine, and that's 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 just dandy. But when you look at what his legacy is going to be, I think there's like a few reasons that you make the move. One of them is there. There is certainly going to be, as you look back on this era of basketball, if LeBron had stayed in the East to continue to play, you know, whether it's the Sixers or whether it had been to stay with Cleveland, there always would have been the question of, is it that LeBron was afraid of the Western Conference, right? Because if he goes West and he joins that super conference, well, now all of a sudden you're no shoe in to the finals like you would have been if you'd stayed in the East. So in some way, I kind of tell you what, though, in in some way, fair I'd rather, if I'm him, I'd rather get that question than, hey, you didn't make the finals at all in Los Angeles question, which is a real possibility. Yeah, see, I don't know, because the way that I look at it now is, legacy-wise, you know, it it doesn't matter how many finals you went to in a row if you don't win them, right? Like, I I don't, uh, when, when you're comparing him to Jordan, it doesn't matter, right? And if he really thought that 
this LA experience, like maybe there's part of the competitor in him that looks at the rest of the Eastern Conference and says, I don't want to go up against these scrub teams again. Like, I, I don't want to have to go to battle with Kevin Love and J.R. Smith and go through this nonsense again. And if it's with the Sixers, it's like, all right, well, you know, you're so clearly the top team in the conference. Or you can make, I guess, an argument that, that Boston would have been close at that point. But, like, really, it's a two-team race. You're playing against a bunch of scrubs. If you go out west, like, there's a competitor's edge that, that says, man, you know, top to bottom, this conference is competitive. And you're going up against some of the best night in and night out. And the Eastern Conference is just not the, it's not the same. And for a guy who's looking to, you know, start a media empire, a guy who, you know, presumably wants to learn from Magic Johnson about how to make that next transition in his career, look, if he if he manages to get that team over Golden State and goes off to the NBA Finals, they win the Finals. And then, like, when you talk about legacy, if he's able, over the next four years, to hoist the Larry O'Brien Trophy with this LA Lakers team, assuming that he doesn't need to, you know, bring in multiple max players, which they don't have the room for right now, or, um, you know, maybe next year they will, uh, they can make a trade and I, you know, guess get Kawhi, but you know, they were in a position I thought to go out and get like DeMarcus cousins to actually give him, you know, a big to play with. He's, he's in a spot where like, it's kind of no lose unless, you know, you really think that he needed to win, let's say four or five more titles to really solidify himself as the all-time great. But even in that case, there's no guarantee that after playing out a contract in the Eastern Conference that you're ever going to be able to get over Golden State or if Houston had gotten there. Like, I guess from a basketball standpoint, there's a part of me that understands it. But again, like I look at what happens to the rest of the league and and I get so angry because I think about, you know, I don't know a, a mechanism that prevents super teams from happening. But if Kawhi ends up going out to L.A., and they're able next summer to clear more money and have a third max player come in. It just kind of makes the whole thing a little bit more sickening to me. Because is it like you're losing out if you're the Sixers? Of course. Um, and I worry, and I've worried for a long time, and I've said on this podcast for like a year, that I worry that someday Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid might become oil and vinegar, or oil and water. And there is a path that Ben Simmons ends up in Los Angeles in a worst case scenario. And for me, I want to see something built into the, uh, into the CBA that is uh, even more conducive to keeping your stars at home. And ultimately for the Sixers, like that needs to be, you know, something that they fight for in the next round of negotiating, because there, there's certainly mechanisms in place where teams that own the rights to a player, especially one that they've drafted, they have the ability to offer more years, more money. But what we're seeing league wide is, you know, while guys like Aaron Gordon are are fine to go sign an $84 million deal for four years to play for the next to last placed Eastern Conference team, um, there's still going to be guys that are that are going to bolt and they're going to turn down that money. And like, if you're looking at, you know, what Cleveland has left in their wake, and this is something that I said months ago, like now Cleveland's got a, a team that's essentially maxed out against the salary cap without a, a real star. They've got Kevin Love and a bunch of pieces. And, you know, they're, I'm sure they're grateful for the championship, but now it's going to take them a few years to, you know, get back to being somewhat competitive and somewhat respectable. And here, here you are a year removed from trading your young superstar in Kyrie Irving, and you've got nothing to show for it. So I don't know, like it's, it, the whole thing's disappointing. Like at, from, from a league perspective, the Western conference, if you live on the West coast or you can stay up late, like they're going to be great games. They're going to be amazing matchups every night. But if you're on the East coast, like what's there to watch? Honestly, like it's, 
It's the Sixers. Yeah. It's the Celtics. I mean, we were we're a week removed from finding out that Toronto was ready to blow it up. They fired the coach of the year. They presumably were looking at trading one of Kyle Lowry or uh, DeMar DeRozan. By Washington. Way, coach of the year. St- I'm tired of it. Yeah, I know. He stunk. Um, he stunk. Their offense was stagnant, and then somehow he got credit this year for finally, you know, coming to the new millennium and implementing a somewhat modern system like he was the guy who invented it. Give me a break. Like, give me a break with that guy. And, and like, Washington was kind of in a similar spot because, the, you know, for, for those people who think that Bradley Beal and John Wall are going to be able to play together, like, it, it hasn't worked. That team right, was so, better without John Wall. So, like, Bradley right, so Beal the conference... to me, well, I'm saying Bradley Beal to me becomes the new number one target for a trade. Okay. If Washington is is looking to sell off somebody, Bradley Beal's the guy to go after. He's the best shooting guard available, and you know he's a he's a very good fit on this team. Like that's that's where you have to start to pivot. But again, like, do you want to trade assets a big to a, an Eastern Conference team? Yeah, it's kind of interesting that so many. I think in a, in many ways, it sort of just happened that guys landed in the West. You know, it's not like places. You know, Oklahoma City because you got Westbrook is you know, desirable, uh, you know, the Warriors, you know, through drafting, you know, it's not like it, these guys are just all going West because of the locale, like it's Los Angeles or because of the franchise, you know, it's sort of a, a series of circumstances, I think that have led players to these teams in the West. Um, but it, it, it is interesting. I think it's bad for, I don't think it matters for the regular season because they're just going to put those games on TV. It really does kind of kill the playoffs because if not, if nothing else, you have some great series in the West. But if nothing else, you're guaranteed that one of your two, you know, one of the best teams in the league, two best teams in the league, is not going to be in the finals most likely. And that, you know, that's kind of weird. You're always going to have you have this dynamic now where the Western Conference Finals feels like the championship, and it, you know, it essentially is. Um, you know, for the Sixers, I get the, you know, I certainly get the argument that well, hell, LeBron's out of the conference now. Um, you know, so it's you and the Celtics. The problem is seeing what the Celtics have, and that was, you know, bef- without, you know, Kyrie uh, and Gordon Hayward. It's like, well, yeah, but you needed one of these guys to really now compete with the Celtics. Whether that was Paul George, who I, who I was all, I'm not a huge George fan to begin with, but, you know, you talked about him a lot, and I'm, I'm not trying to take digs here, but he was always. You know, he was always going to L.A., which obviously didn't happen. But there was no indication that he would ever sign here, ever. Um, so I always thought to talk about Paul George, while it was nice for us as Sixers fans, was never really reality. LeBron, you could argue, probably argue the same about LeBron. But I think, um, you know, there were some national media justification you know, even guys as recently as yesterday's woes are saying, don't count the Sixers out. They did get the meeting, whether it was a courtesy meeting or not. Um, you know, there was enough there for the Sixers to feel they had a chance to fly out. Um, certainly the Ben Simmons angle and all of that, you know, fueled it. And those guys tweeting about him and that stuff. Hold on, pause at least for a second. Because lo- that, I think, is the thing that gets me the angriest. Rich Paul has a relationship with the Sixers, right? Like, he's got, he has a relationship between Ben Simmons. They've done good work before. This is the thing that, like, I tweeted out yesterday. That Probably why I took the on, That, that Woj should sit on sports. Then you don't take it. If you're Rich Paul, you say, look, guys, you know, I understand that you're interested, but he's already made a decision. Like, say, like save yourself what's going to end up being a PR disaster. Like, what's worse for the Sixers? They, he, they don't get a meeting because LeBron decided weeks or months ago that he wants to go to the Lakers. Or 
like it leaking out after the fact from Windhorse that, yeah, this was just a courtesy meeting. That to me looks worse. I think it would have just been better right off the bat if Rich Paul had just said to the Sixers, look, he's going to go to LA. He, he chose this. It's better for his family. No offense, guys, but like that's how it is. I'd rather the Sixers not have a meeting and just find out that, look, there was nothing you could have done. LeBron had his mind made up for the better part of a year than for them to go out across country. It was a meeting where they, you know, originally it was LeBron was supposed to be there, according to Woj. Then he backtracked that immediately. Um, you, you had Embiid and Ben Simmons on the West Coast. You had Fultz apparently on the West Coast. These guys were already circling, star hunting. And what you got out of this whole thing is a courtesy meeting. And like that to me is is really a, an indictment on on the franchise and I don't know how to feel about it because like I think that as you continue to build relationships and when you hear that that uh, Rich Paul thinks highly of Brett Brown and the organization then tell them that there's no chance it's not even leverage like he had the deal worked out with the Lakers it's not like this was you know they're trying to acquire somebody in a trade and they're using the Sixers as leverage or that the Lakers could offer more money they can offer the exact same money so like I like the Sixers end up looking like total jackasses in the situation. They look like Again. a team. They look like a team that was ready to go star hunting, and instead they became hunted. Like nobody. It looks like no free agent wants to come to Philadelphia. And so now, like there's there certainly has to be a thought process whether people want to acknowledge it or not. Is was the process successful? Because you know you can say that it's the fact that Hinky wasn't here. You can say it's the fact that the Brian Colangelo fiasco scared free agents away but you you walk out like 12 no 24 hours ago i was laughing at the lakers because they didn't get a meeting with paul george well the sixers didn't get a meeting the sixers got a courtesy meeting with lebron and now Kawhi apparently only wants to go to to the lakers so i don't i don't know how to feel as a sixers fan because they haven't done anything and like i hate saying that you're kind of right because i still think ultimately long term you might be wrong here we are in the disaster scenario that you traded a guy like Mikel Bridges that could have actually helped this team this year because you wanted that 2021 pick, which again, that could still be used in a trade. If you trade that off for Bradley Beal, I have no problem. If you end up making a deal for a year of Kawhi and you hope that you can pitch him on your team's culture and the fit with Ben and Joel for a year and he resigns here next year, then it's worth it. But if that pick ends up being nothing, I mean, you've now got a project in Zaire Smith and, and, like, your team is no better. And, by the way, it feels like nobody's talking about this, but you just went from a scenario where not only were you pursuing the best free agent and, and one of the best players via trade into making a super team, where, like, Markel Fultz was apparently an untouchable. Well, if that's true, and you were going to be able to work out a deal with San Antonio for Leonard without including Fultz, Fultz had no pressure on him in that scenario. But, damn, man, does he have all the pressure in the world on his shoulders? Because if he doesn't fix that shot, if Drew Hanlon can't work a miracle and fix that jump shot, Fultz is going to become persona non grata. He is going to be the number one target of all Sixers fans' ire, whether it is justified or not. He just went from being a guy who is going to be able to go under the radar on a superstar team to a guy that if he is a failure in year two, each and every Sixers fan is going to want to cut bait. And people like me, who have been hoping that he's going to be able to get it together and use all those great physical tools, is going to say, man, this kid really is a, a head case. He goes on to Instagram. He's posting, like, goofy pictures of himself getting out of, you know, fancy cars. And meanwhile, you know, if he goes out on the court after an offseason of not playing Summer League, of working with a shot guru, and he still can't get it out of his own head, man, is it going to look like a failure for this team? And then, like, then where are you? You know, like in, in 2019, if you're coming off two years of, of a terrible Markel Fultz and a team that like 
was unable to go out and get anybody in a trade, was unable to lure any of the big name free agents in 2018, then where are you in 2019? If Clay Thompson re-ups with Golden State, there goes the free agent class of 2019. So then how do we push the goalposts back again? And meanwhile, Boston is getting back Gordon Hayward, is going to have a healthy Kyrie Irving, and has another year of experience with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Like, this is not a good situation for the Sixers, and I don't care how how rosy the, the glasses you've been wearing are. This team is screwed until they're able to go out and get another star, and they failed. Brett Brown and this team and this front office collective failed. So now where do they go from here? And I don't know. And I'm very disappointed. Like, I, I don't know how to feel about it, except to just say there is this massive feeling of disappointment. The fact that I had to get all of my hopes up about a guy that I was never a fan of off the court in LeBron James, just so I can go out and get the player that I've always wanted to get in the trade in Kawhi Leonard. And now neither of them are coming here, and we are stuck with a team that is no better than they were last year, and you can make the cases worse because you've lost Bellinelli, you've lost Ilyasova, and now J.J. Redick all of a sudden is holding all kinds of leverage over your team. This team is not better. Team's gotten worse. Well, thank you for that. Now I hate myself and my fandom and the Sixers and and maybe even you just by uh, uh, association. Thank you. Uh, that was that was well done. I, I agree with a lot of your points there. Um, I, I think some are overstated, but I, let me. Let's. That was really good. I'm I'm sort of in awe. I'm sort of. Do you need a smoke or something? You okay? Just I have so much more. No, look, I think you're, I think you're, you touched on an, a nugget of something. I will say that it's probably, I don't want to sit here and blame the Sixers for not getting um, LeBron or Paul George or Kawhi, because ultimately, if they were located in Los Angeles, which, you know, seems to be the, the locale now, um, they get these guys. You know, everyone's given Magic Johnson credit, and maybe... It, it, Obviously, you know, LeBron's admiration for him had something to do with this. But give me a break. Like, he re- he didn't do anything. I saw someone tweet last night, congratulations to Magic Johnsons for for keeping the Lakers in Los Angeles and enabling to get them to get LeBron. Like, he had to do nothing other than be the guy representing the Lakers. And if the Sixers, as they currently stand, are based out of L.A., well, then guess what? Then they're the team. They're the team getting all these guys. That is the hand they were dealt. There's nothing they could do against that. So I, I, I don't know what they could have done to get LeBron or Paul George or to make Kawhi want to come here. I mean, ultimately, Kawhi will not have – well, he might have a say, but it's not his decision as to whether or not he gets traded here. But it is his decision as to whether he'll stay and whether that trade is worthwhile. And there's really not anything the Sixers can do about that. It can't possibly be a basketball thing because you do have two young stars and a kind of a blank canvas on which you can paint. You know, and and all the ancillary well, boxes are checked for the Sixers too. You know, market size. You know, brand. You know, like all all these like you know little things players would consider on the you know personal side of things are there for the Sixers. So I'm not ready to blame them for that yet. However. I think your I think your critique of the draft pick is is speaking to me loud and clear, um, and I do think this there look there's been a series of embarrassments for the Sixers over the last five years really I mean you could go back to Bynum and, and cherry pick at least one a season, but it's been a rough couple of weeks you know starting with the Colangelo stuff and then the way the Bridges thing was handled you know how the optics of that if nothing else. Uh, and now this, where you have you know your 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 ownership group and Brett Brown fly across the country, but 
This, I think, was the problem, and I know Phil was pounded on this in our Slack, and he is the resident you know, Sixers take artist, but I do think there's a, a kernel of truth to the fact that we all love Brett Brown, and I was all in on Brett Brown Star Hunter t-shirts. Like, don't get me wrong. And I think he's an excellent pitch man. He's an excellent representative of the organization and all of this, and, and, you know, a good coach, and we'll find out if he's a great one. But this is what happens when you have someone who's kind of inexperienced in that job and you have a power vacuum as to who exactly is making these decisions. And Brett Brown said on draft night it was his ultimately his decision to trade for the pick because they were going star hunting. Well, here's the problem, and this was my argument last week, and I, I don't want to relitigate the Bridges thing with you because it, it's not worth it, and I think we probably turned some people off with it. But the the fact of the matter is... We. What's... Okay. Go well, ahead. yeah. Okay. Go ahead. I did. But, you know, and people don't want to admit it. Everyone wanted Bridges, and I'm going to spend two minutes on this and, and let go, so just stick with me for a second. Everyone wanted him. No one was talking about Zaire Smith for the draft. Now everyone's talked himself into him because he's a good athlete, and that's fine. He might be a good player. But don't negate the fact that... Bridges was the guy who, for a while, was seen as, hey, this guy makes a ton of sense on the team. He's NBA-ready. He does. He fills a role that you need. He's a good defender. He's a 3-and-D guy. He's, a, he's potentially a much better version of Covington. Um, like that, and, you know, he could put the ball on the floor, unlike Covington. Just all these little things. Got longer reach, whatever. That was the guy. And, obviously, the league viewed him as a better option Zaire Smith because he was always targeted to go higher. So he is the better option in that scenario. And you said, all right, well, we like this guy a little bit better, but not a lot better. So we're certainly willing to trade him for this pick. The pro And look, I get it. That pick is still an asset. It could still be used. But the fact of the matter is when he said star hunting, regardless of what else you parsed out of that speech, honestly, the goal was to use that pick somehow to get Kawhi or orchestrate a super team this year. I don't. They're ready to turn the page and win now. And it might be a great pick to keep in three years. That's not where they are because now you're going to have Simmons and Embiid coming up on other contracts by the time whatever the fruits of that pick yield. So you're not talking remotely about the same team. The opportunity is these next five years. And they still might be able to use the pick. That's fine. But ultimately, going out and getting LeBron has backfired. Going out and getting Paul George has backfired. And, and as a result of that, the trade possibilities for Kawhi Leonard are are don't make as much sense yes you could still go get him but it really doesn't make as much sense because you don't think you can keep him around after next year because those guys aren't going to be here that you know that's the type of thinking that i had a problem with in that scenario because it's like you know here's brett brown and i called him i think like 2k or fantasy gm or whatever i called him because you know these are the things you do like all right well let's go take a big swing yeah but what if None of the things that are all those things that are outside of your control don't allow you to use it as you intended to use it. Now you've you had a 52 win team who had the number 10 pick in the draft, which is pretty awesome. And you could actually go out and get a player who was ready to help you now. Now, Mikhail Bridge is not going to put them over the hump, but he was certainly going to improve the team next or you know, almost certainly going to improve the team next year. And be willing, you know, ready to contribute. That is not the case with Zaire Smith. And it's fine if he works out in a few years. But, you know, I mean, that is an issue. And then you have, I think, Brett Brown probably get a little rosy on, hey, you know, maybe we can get LeBron. Maybe we can get Paul George. I used to work in San Antonio. Maybe we can get Kawhi. Like, 
it does feel like he's in just a little bit over his head. And again, I hesitate to say that because it's not his fault they didn't get LeBron. If they got LeBron, you'd be like, oh, Brett Brown is a genius. I totally get that part of it. But I do think you have someone here who's a little bit uh, inexperienced in finessing the league. And oh, by the way, if Brett Brown's been out in Los Angeles and they were flying across the country and taking the meeting yesterday and focusing on LeBron and you know all these other chips are falling, now you got to get creative, like you said, whether it's someone like Bradley Beal or going out and re-signing J.J. Redick, who's going to get paid now, whether by the Sixers, potentially the Lakers. I mean, whatever the case, you have to get creative and finesse a little bit, and now's when you need a GM. Like, it's great to say, hey, Brett Brown's our guy. We can go pitch LeBron and Paul George. Well, that backfired, and... And he wasn't able to get a deal done with San Antonio. And even his relationship with Kawhi is certainly, whatever it is, is not going to be able to keep him around here by all accounts. Now, you're right. Maybe they're able to trade for Kawhi, and this team goes to the finals next year. And Kawhi's like, well, shit. Ben Simmons has developed into a second-team All-NBA guy. Joel Embiid's a first-team All-NBA guy. Markel Fultz is playing like the Rookie of the Year candidate that he should have been. And I'm a superstar. We are the super team. Like, I think that part is getting lost in this. This The process was never really built around LeBron or not necessarily even going out and quote-unquote star hunting and acquiring the big-name free agent. Yes, that was always a possibility now, with see, your flexibility. Okay. That, may, that was, you, that was I, I think that was that was a, a very – that was a large part of this. It was it, to – like, again, that was why it was you raise stars, you keep cap flexibility, and then you're able to pounce. You're able to attack. The free agent market whenever those guys are available i totally and, agree and, and but it. that doesn't mean guys over the next 18 to 18 months 12 to 18 months won't become available there are guys now who you know you know like look sports we always view sports through okay who's the guy now there will be players from this draft class who will be highly coveted over the next year. There will be players from last year's draft class who will be highly coveted. Situations will change. Players will become available. You know, this none of this stuff is is locked in stone, right? Or whatever the fucking phrase is. You know, Clay Thompson looks like he's going to re-sign with the Warriors, but maybe not. Like, maybe they decide, well, shit, like, you know, we're, we're, max, we're completely neglecting our future here. Maybe we think about dealing Clay Thompson and getting that 2021 pick. Like that, I don't think that's outside the realm of possibility. Even though everyone wants him to remain there, um, you can only keep you know that situation going for so long. And it, it, the part that sucks for us is they're all still relatively young, which you know there's no real urgency there to to move on. But the point is, other guys will come available. I still think you can go out and get someone. The process was always mainly built around getting your own superstars, right? And it wasn't predicated on just being able to get LeBron or Paul George. The fact that it backfired this year doesn't negate the process. Reasonable chance. We have a, you know, we have a large enough sample size now. Reasonable chance Joel Embiid is a top 5 player in the NBA and he's as coveted as anybody else out there. Reasonable chance that Ben Simmons is also a top 5 player in the NBA in two in 2 years. And he's the guy who's coveted. You know, you have these guys under your control. I, when Ben Simmons leaves for L.A., we can all, you know, hang ourselves. But he's here for now. Um, and Markel Fultz, number one pick, who knows? 
But Simmons and Embiid could are you know we could legitimately say those guys could be right up there with a Russell Westbrooks and even the LeBrons in the world in just a couple of years, and you're still fine, and you'll be able to get guys here. Maybe this was still despite the 52 wins. Maybe this was still a year too early to really be the truly desirable location. And maybe you know I mean maybe that's all this is. But I then that's do a think- miscalculation. Like that's a miscalculation that well, this team screwed up because guys like Trevor Ariza who could have been had on like a 12 15 million dollar deal on a one-year deal you want to talk about like getting the Sixers better without having a major free uh, free agent acquisition in like LeBron or Paul George well the way to make your team better is to go out and be you know cap savvy and go get those guys I mean a team that that brings back Bellinelli Ilyasova re-signs Redick and acquires Trevor Ariza you're better like there's no doubt about it like Ariza is the perfect fit like if if you realized after the fact that, like, wow, you know, Mikel Bridges really could have helped our team this year. Well, then you go out and you do a one-year sign of Ariza, bring him in. He's a great 3 and D guy. He's somebody who's been on winning teams. Like, he would have been a perfect fit. But because you miss you misread the market, you obviously misread what the interest level was going to be from LeBron and his camp. You obviously misread whatever kind of interest you thought that you that Paul George might have had in at least having a meeting. And like it seems like you've misread what you thought Kawhi's uh, willingness to re-sign, you know, if he's acquired by this team. Well, like then you blew it twice because everybody seemed to think that a lot of free agents were going to hold up their decisions based on where LeBron goes. And we saw yesterday that that just wasn't that wasn't true. Twelve one hit, and there were just deals galore that that were signed. Now, did I want Bellinelli on like a six million dollar a year cap hit? No, probably not. Especially if you thought you had a, a realistic, you know, chance at LeBron. But again. They they held themselves off from acquiring, you know, decent, I, I don't know, second tier, third tier free agents that could have filled out this roster and helped them go from a 52 win team to maybe closer to a 60 win team, all putting all their eggs in the in the LeBron basket. And and it's not like it just backfired, but like it screwed them there. The, the free agents that are left in this class, there is nobody who stands out as a hey we need to sign this guy unless you're like trying to look at going twin tower offense and you and you want to put out like a max offer sheet to demarcus cousins and try to like for in in some weird way try to capture the magic that that the pelicans were hoping to with anthony davis and and cousins last year but you know he's a bit of a head case and i don't really see a fit with him and Embiid. so like I, i i there's there's nobody left the free agent market is is pretty deplete of good opportunities and good options for the sixers so unless like you're gonna take a, a flyer on Jabari Parker as a, as a free agent, or you're gonna go out and like try to sign Julius Randle to an offer sheet, which makes no sense, like there's not really anything left. I mean th- that like if if you hated LeBron the entire time, you can hate him more because you know by by them building their entire free agent strategy around him, you know it it, it screwed them. They they have no one else to go back to. There's no fallback plan. I mean it, JJ Reddick's the fallback plan. Right? Like, the only thing... What's he going to get? I mean, I, 20, 20-ish hours ago, there was a chance that, you know, you sign LeBron, you have, like, a $5.4 million mid-level exception. And then it was like, ah, well, maybe because JJ, you know, made $27 million last year, maybe he would take that $5.4 million to, you know, be part of a super team and still be close to his, his wife and his family in Brooklyn. Well, now, it's like, well, do we, do we go out and re-sign JJ? Do we sign him to a $17 million a year deal? Does he now realize that he has all the the uh, the the eggs in it? No, not eggs in the basket. I don't know what the word is or the phrase is. But like, does he realize that he has all the power now? 
Does he demand another $20 million contract? If you're the Sixers, can you risk losing J.J. Redick? I mean, imagine the optics of this situation. If you've not only lost, you know, Bellinelli and Silva, who were nice bench pieces, who were good shooters, who, by the way, you know, spaced the floor and, you know, made up for the deficiencies of Ben Simmons not wanting to shoot and Markel Fultz being unable to do practically anything. You know, you lost those guys. If you lose J.J. too, you have no shooting on this team. I mean... Not only is Markel Fultz a guy who's going to be under scrutiny, but you think Robert Covington's $16 million a year deal isn't going to be scrutinized every time he clanks up, you know, six misses from, from uh, you know, five feet behind the, the line next year? I mean, he's got to be your best shooter. Dario's got to take an entirely new level of being a, a spot-up shooter, of being a catch-and-shoot guy from the corner. You're putting all of this new pressure on, on these young guys. And, like, it doesn't make any of them better. I mean, ugh. Yeah, God. I agree with you. I, 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 I'm and hesitant way, to and, go. Hold on. I'm hesitant to go. Go ahead. Yeah, finish your thought. Sorry. By the way, you know, we talked about star hunting and the fact that it looks really bad for Brett Brown and it looks really bad for the organization. It's worse in a negotiation now because now that you've missed out on all three, presumably, of your top targets, what GM isn't going to answer the phone and mention star hunting? Or in the back of their mind, have it as, man, we've got these guys. We have these guys dead to rights. You know, if say a Bradley Beal package was going to have to include, and I don't know what it would actually include. I haven't really done enough about the, the Wizards to know what the roster uh, looks like since they traded Gortat. But like, if, say that they wanted a, a similar package to what you were going to have to trade for Kawhi. Like, say they wanted Dario and Covington and a first-round pick. Well, they're certainly going to increase their asking price, and I think that's the big story here going forward. Anybody who has a star that they've been considering dangling, like even Toronto with DeRozan, the price just went up. And like presumably the price has gone up if you're San Antonio because even well, if I don't want to because well I don't either but like even if you think that like San Antonio realizes that they're not going to be able to keep Kawhi and there's no chance that Kawhi is going to sign an extension with wherever he goes if you're a GM and you're trying to make a deal with an Eastern Conference team your price goes up because you realize that there is a vacuum that's been created by LeBron leaving and like anybody who's looking to acquire a star now it's to try to vault them over boston so if i'm a gm of a western conference team and i've got a team that i realize has no shot of competing in this super conference my price went up another first round pick like any savvy gm is going to do that and to your point you know now that you're looking at a team that doesn't have a gm i mean you've got guys in eversley and ned cohen who are experienced guys like monty williams who just came out of san antonio's front office for the last two years and Brett brown's not like a, a, he's not a moron but he's never really served in a front office capacity. You know, now you're in trouble because these guys who know the league and know how to how to negotiate are going to have leverage over you that they didn't previously have before your coach went out. And, you know, I, I love that Brett was so honest and open, but like that can end up being the thing in a negotiation that that comes back to bite you. And by the way, I love the the notion, your your point about Reddick having all the leverage. I look forward to his you know, mini documentary this year. Last year, he was all paranoid that he was going to wind up playing in Spain or something. I think it's going to be the opposite. It's, you know, they're going to be popping bottles at his apartment this year after the LeBron's, LeBron signing, knowing that he has, you know, not his pick of where he goes, but good God, like a lot of leverage working in his favor. Whether he wants to go to the super team, come back to the Sixers, he can almost name his price in some regards. Um, you mentioned, I'm just unpacking things you said here in, in reverse order. You mentioned the Celtics NBA title odds are out from Vegas. Warriors plus 130, Celtics second at plus 350. 
I suppose that is not on the strength of them being the second best team, but the strength of them being almost the shoe in to win the East. Uh, the Lakers plus 400, the Rockers, Rockets plus 700, next the Sixers at 14 to 1, so plus 1400, uh, and then it drops all the way down to the Spurs at 50 to 1. So the, the Sixers are, uh, you know, still in that top tier, though, you know, behind any of the, the, the big teams, the Western Conference teams and the Celtics. Um, but I, I think the the main point of what you said there, I'm in full agreement on the Brett Brown star hunting comment. We love it. Again, like I'm with you. I appreciate his enthusiasm, but I'm pretty sure I said this to you in our show two weeks ago. This is the issue when you have a guy who's not experienced being a GM. I think I said there's a reason why sometimes you keep things closer to the vest. Yes, as fans and media, we love it when guys are honest and we get to learn a little bit and see them, you know, you know, dangle their balls a little bit and all that stuff. Probably not the best phrasing. The point is um, you allow other GMs a glimpse into your thinking, and it didn't – it didn't manifest itself in the free agent search. You know, everyone knows everyone knows you're going to bend over backwards for LeBron or Paul George or Kawhi. But now, when you have to, if you got to negotiate with another agent or another team, like you said, they know that you're up against it, and kind of to save face, if nothing, not only to save face, but also to improve your team, you have to get something done now. Otherwise, you you run the risk of looking very, very bad as a person, as an organization, and also not improving the team on the floor. That it, it's all those little things that add up by not having someone actually in that job that is a huge problem. And the fact that you got to finesse. So I, I think I completely agree with everything you just said, which is which is rare for this podcast. And Kyle, that's where people are missing it, too. Like, that's where people are missing the point. Like they look at at LeBron, they look at a super team with Kawhi and they kept looking at, like, can we beat the Warriors? Can we beat the Rockets? Well, the team that you currently have constructed isn't going to be able to even come close to beating the Celtics. And the Celtics, you know, the only thing that's gone wrong for them this offseason is that their first-round pick, Robert Williams, uh, overslept his uh, alarm on the introductory press conference. He missed a flight yesterday, and he missed the first day of summer practice. So, like, that's the only thing that's going wrong in Danny Ainge's world, you know? And we saw how big the, the talent disparity was between the Sixers that had, you know, shooters like Ilyasova, Bellinelli, Redick, and this Boston team in the playoffs. And this Boston team is better. They're going to have both of their stars back healthy. They would slaughter. I mean, if if we went into this series, even bring back JJ, and say that that's the only free agent that they're really able to get, and they fill in the roster with, like, they bring Jonah Bolden over, they they buy him out from, I think it's Maccabi, for like 400 k this year. If you go into that series next year, it's going to be 4-1 again. I mean, honestly, well, I, I know nobody wants to accept it, but you know, see, it, and it's gonna it's gonna take a massive turnaround. It's gonna take a miraculous turnaround by Markel Fultz for this team to really be anything. And by the way, it's gonna take Ben Simmons working on extending his range for him to be a legitimate threat. Like this, this is not a good scenario. And like Boston is Boston's gotten better just by virtue of sitting back and watching the Sixers flounder. Yeah, look, I, I agree with you to an extent. I'm not ready to go so far. Two things I, I would want to put the restrictor plate restrictor place on, you know, what you've said over the last 15 minutes. One would be that, you know, there's a my guess is by the time some people are listening to this, we're recording on Monday morning, something else will have happened in the league to change circumstances. Just because the expected free agent pool is, you know, 
not it's it's depleted there could be a trade there's you know the Sixers have a lot of flexibility there's a lot that could still be done whether it's now or next season to radically improve the team so I'm not willing to say like just because you didn't get LeBron Paul George and it would appear Kawhi doesn't mean nothing can happen they can sign Kawhi and legit go to the finals and all of a sudden become a desirable destination and Kawhi could help them lure somebody next year you know whatever like a a bunch of things can happen. So I'm not ready to say like this is a total abject failure and they're just not going to be able to get anybody to help the team. The other thing I would say um, is with regard to beating the Celtics. Yes, the Celtics look like they're going to be a major problem. But, you know, let's f- we forget about how young... First of all, Joel Embiid was coming back from an injury and, and still wasn't really himself in the playoffs. He was playing with a mask, you know, and also his conditioning and all that stuff. Ben Simmons does not, as of yet, have a shot. Hopefully by next year, if nothing else, he develops an elbow free throw line jumper to at least keep some defenses honest. If Markel Fultz remembers how to shoot, you know, we're talking about him like like he has every bit of an opportunity to contribute the way Jason Tatum did, if not more so. I still think his ceiling is higher. Reasonable chance Jason Tatum has essentially peaked as a rookie. Reasonable chance. Um... You know the Sixers can be You're very. You're trying to very... talk yourself into this so much, and no, I'm just preparing. I'm, Russ, I'm just getting the gasoline ready to dump on a fire. I am not. I am not because, like Tatum was such a big part of that series. You had guys who couldn't defend him. That is something that could be fixed without getting a superstar. Um, so oh, hold, hold on, on, hold on. Let me let me just we'll start. We'll start let there. me how let do, me finish you, my thought. How do, you, how do you now defend ben, Tatum? Ben's what's that? I understand, but you had Bellinelli. Like you had guys who were ill and Redick on him at times. Like. You can fix that. You can maybe Zaire Smith is your defensive stopper that everybody's talking about. Maybe you have a guy out there. Seriously, but that's what people. No, but you I, know, I, I, I know. Let me but like let me, but let me Jason just Tatum slaughtered let, Robert Covington, who was your best defender. He's Zaire not that Smith good of a defender. Is the problem Zaire, with Robert Zaire Covington? Smith is going to come in and and okay. But yes, because he's quick. He's quicker than Covington. Covington is like a good defender in that, like he loses guys off the ball. He is not as good as a defender as people make him out to be. His worth, and you've said this as a defender, is the fact that he has the ability to switch and defend so many positions, which is different from being a good on the ball defender. It. My point is, you can go out and get somebody who can defend Jason Tatum. You know, we're still not talking about LeBron James here. You can stop Jason Tatum. I'm not. This whole conference isn't built on Jason Tatum. Ben Simmons, who got completely outclassed by Tatum in, in the series, long-term should and most likely will be, perhaps as soon as next year, a much better player than Tatum is. Okay, His ceiling is exponentially higher than Tatum's, I would say. So is Joel Embiid's. Like, yeah, I mean, right now it looks daunting, given Gordon Hayward and Col- Col- um, Kyrie and all of that. But... I still think the two guys the Sixers have at the top have have as high of a ceiling as any of those guys, if not higher. And you still have this X factor in Markel Fultz. Like you're comparing Fultz and Tatum. Like, oh well, you know, we can't put them in the same conversation. Sure, we can. Fultz was taking two picks ahead of Tatum. Like, there's no reason Fultz is shot as a problem. He's could it be a head case, immature, all these things. I'm not debating that. But there's still the chance that if he remembers how to shoot, his his physical gifts. Uh, speak for themselves his ability to uh his quickness his athleticism if he shoots he can still be a superstar in this league so my point is it looks daunting to beat the celtics yes am i trying to talk myself into it a little bit of course and do they need help for sure but i don't think it's as 
the Delta is as big as it was ever going to be, I think, in this series because you had a rookie who was more NBA ready, obviously, than Fultz. You had Ben Simmons who still had that glaring weakness in his game. You you know, I think the Celtics stumbled into just they probably didn't expect to be as good this soon. Also, by the way, when they get Kyrie back and Gordon Hayward, you know, it's going to be a new rotation. Not saying they're going to get worse, but they're not going to have places for all these guys to contribute, and they're not going to all be able to coexist on the same team for years to come if they're all as good as we think they could be. So, like, I get that they need help, but I don't think the chasm, I don't think it's like, oh, my God, because we didn't get LeBron or Kawhi, we can't possibly ever compete with the Celtics. I don't think that's the case because the ceilings for Simmons and Embiid and to a lesser extent Fultz are still so great that, you know, these guys could be the league superstars in something as short as two years. Um, You know, just developing a mediocre mid-range shot for Simmons makes him significantly better player because if nothing else, it keeps defenses honest. That is the biggest problem with him. It's not his inability to be a jump shooter. It's the fact that his lack of a shot impacts the other things he's so good at, getting to the rim, freeing up guys for their own shots. When defenses can collapse, you create essentially like a, a one man, a man advantage for them. So that like that is something that could be kind of easily be overcome with a reasonable jumper. Markel Fultz, if it truly was just a mental thing and this, you know, and then a shot got screwed up by a shot doc, like they should be able to overcome, if he can overcome that, he has superstar potential and Joel Embiid is what he is. You still need more help, but I'm not, like, I'm just not ready to go quite as far as you are yet in saying this is an abject failure in the offseason because still a lot could be played out. The Sixers still have a ton of flexibility and assets to use and great young players. Like they are still really well positioned. I do think, though, the you're spot on when you say misread the market. I think that is absolutely the correct way to describe what's happened over the last couple of weeks here. And I think that is where having this, not saying Brian Colangelo would have done any better or worse, and I'm not saying they should have kept him around, but that is where not having a GM hurts you. And this whole situation with Colangelo kind of fucked them. This created this weird power vacuum, and you put guys who have never, someone like Brett Brown, who hasn't had to be responsible for this stuff and allowed him to be your ultimate decision maker and misread the market, I think is a great way to describe what has happened here and what can happen when you, you know, maybe just play video game GM a little bit and ignore some of the smaller ancillary things and don't think about, all right, well, you know, how important is this 2021 pick? Do we really need it? Is this absolutely what's going to get it done? And the answer is thus far, no, not yet. And if that's the case, now, you know, now you missed on a guy who could, you could plug in right away and improve your team. Um, so th- that's the part that, you know, all of that taken together sucks. I'm just not ready to go so far as to say, you know, Oh, fuck. The process, you know, failed. I, I, we're a long way from that, I think. Especially because the so East I, is so, so bad. It's you and one other team. A lot can go wrong for that other team, too. So with hindsight being twenty twenty, and I, I don't want to get into a lengthy battle about the Celtics, the two things that the Sixers showed glaring weaknesses with in that Celtics series were an inability to hit shots. That was Ilyasova, Bellinelli, and even Redick not having great games. And the fact that they had no no length and speed versatility um, in order to, to match up against Boston's wings. So with those two things in mind, just think momentarily. By the way, about, Zaire Smith and Markel so, Fultz are guys that add that dimension to you. Not saying 
Not saying either of them are, are sure things, but defensively, both have the potential <laughs> well, to to add that dimension well, relatively. Yeah, I mean, like, and reasonable. you're you're painting a a very hopeful, rosy scenario. Um, but Ben can't shoot. Ben is an, is a, a much better defender than we thought. Joel can can shoot pretty well, and is certainly like the uh, the unmatchable guy, right? Fultz, you're putting a whole ton of pressure on. As of right now, cannot shoot. Good wingspan. Um, probably going to be a better defender. He's going to probably surprise us the same way that Ben Simmons did. Dario got killed in that series because he doesn't have lateral quickness and he's not fast enough. He's not athletic enough to keep up with the wings uh, that Boston put out, like a Jalen Brown, like a Jason Tatum. He That's not going to change. Covington got exposed in that series, both as a shooter, uh, which he was poor at, as I would say, in, in the playoffs as a whole. Um, and he was shown to to be not a great on-ball defender. He's not Andre Iguodala. And yes, like I've said, and like you just pointed out, he's good for defensive versatility, being able to guard, you know, the one through four. Um, but he got exposed in that series. TJ McConnell, decent mid-range shot. Uh, pesky defender, but not long. Landry Shamit, is he going to come in and, and become a lockdown defender? Timothy Luwabu Cabarro, is he going to become a, a legitimate three-point shooter? Does he have the length? Have you seen anything defensively from him in a year that has made you think that he's going to be a good defender? Rashawn Holmes is here on a $1.6 million deal, has no shot. Uh, it gets lost defensively all the time. Jared Bayless is eating up cap, practically useless. Justin Anderson is interesting. Like If Justin Anderson continues to work on his shot, if he improves his three-point shooting this offseason, then you know maybe he's a guy that starts to see himself get more minutes like maybe he becomes the Bellinelli replacement if if you know he'll be a longer defender like maybe maybe you have to put a you have to buy a lot of stock in Justin Anderson Shake Middleton we don't know exactly what we're getting from him Corkmaz is pretty long but he also needs to add a ton of weight he can maybe become a reliable shooter it all of this uh, is predicated on being able to take last year's first round picks and somehow you know hit the uh I don't know, like buy all the NBA 2K virtual currency and throw it on their three-point shot, try to expand their wingspan, and at the same time, like Im- improve them defensively in a way that I'm not so sure they can. So like while you can say that, you know, Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid and Markel Fultz have higher ceilings than people on the Celtics, like that's fair, but are they going to hit it in a year? Because if they don't, like again, for me, the Sixers team in order to get over the Celtics not only now need to bring back J.J. Redick, but they still need to go out and get a star. If it's Beal, they need somebody that can create their own shot. Because, again, you are now putting hey, so much stress and so I much emphasis. I'm trying yeah. to be polite. Because <laughs> I, I get shit on for interrupting you. But I, I go ahead. I want to respond to what you what you just said. Um, you know, I think with Embiid, he legitimately next he, – he's not a long way away. Next year, he could be a top-five player in the NBA. I don't think that's an unreasonable statement. Ben Simmons, realistically, probably two years away. If for no other reason, then he's not going to instantly develop a great shot. But he's close. Okay. What I does mean, that say about the... him as a player? Hold, hold I, on. I love I, I love Ben, and I, I like love all the intangibles. But if he isn't killing himself in the gym this offseason to work on a shot, like if I see more pictures of him and Kendall Jenner in a you know a nice Malibu house than I see of of him you know busting it in the gym working on a jump shot. Like what is what exactly does that say about him? Okay, we I, don't uh, look. To, but you have to be fair here too. I know you want to come in with the hot takes and, and be critical and all that. Um, 
We don't know that he's not. not. We don't just because he's hanging out with Kendall Jenner does not mean while slightly concerning and the fact they're going to get ahead. Yes, I, I agree with you does not mean he's not working on his shot. Same with Fultz, posting pictures of himself getting out of expensive cars. He's rich, whether we like it or not. We all know he's rich. He's allowed to go buy an expensive car. Doesn't mean he's not working on his game. Certainly seems like he is. My point about Simmons is he ha- he's, I mean, the, the number of triple-doubles he put up in his rookie campaign, he's the rookie of the year, all of this without the shot. That is why my, my point of him even developing a reasonably, rel- keep them honest, mid-range jumper does wonders for him but let's say he's two years away from not saying being the top of his game but being a bona fide stud in the league because it will take a little bit of time to develop that shot sim um and b could be there next year Fultz probably several years away but these aren't like <laughs> hold, hold, stop for no, one second these okay. aren't like like this isn't Fultz is maybe a little bit fantastical just because he had such a weird unique problem Simmons and Embiid are not. The whole league is in agreement that these guys are potential superstars. And Embiid is one already, okay? And Simmons is very close to being one. Like, we're forgetting about all the times we spent talk, comparing him to Magic Johnson this season just because he got exposed a little bit in the playoffs. Like, that doesn't mean he, you know, just because Tatum, we all look at Tatum as, hey, this is what rookies should be. He is the exception. And by the way, I keep going back to this. Before the draft last year, the talk, everyone was like, Tatum is the most NBA-ready guy. He will be the guy who's ready to come in and play an NBA game from day one. All of that stuff came to fruition. That doesn't mean that other guys in that draft or other young players won't, in the long term, be be better players. Like Some guys develop at different rates. He has a, a skill set that was NBA-ready on day one, but a slightly lower ceiling. Like, I, I'm not saying something fantastical here about Simmons and Embiid competing with the Celtics. And I think we're going down a rabbit hole and we're just going to go in circles, so it's probably not worth debating. My, all I'm trying to say is I get the Celtics are a problem. I'm not saying the Sixers are ready to beat them, but I don't think I'm not quite as, as disappointed as I am this morning. I'm not as dire about the situation as you are because I still, especially in the East, forget about that. The West is a different story. But I still think that the Sixers can reasonably compete with the Celtics without getting a major top 10 superstar. Um, not saying it's going to be easier, but I don't think like they're, is dead. they're in a conference that has one other good team and they still have two, potentially three young superstar players. And I think two of those guys, it is it is reasonable to uh, say they they should be superstars within two years. Not maybe, you know. Fultz is a is a maybe who God who knows. Simmons and Embiid are not. I mean, they they are part of the next wave of potential superstars, un- unquestionably. You know, barring injury, which you know you could say for everybody. That's all I'm trying to say. I don't want to keep debating on whether or not they could beat the Celtics because we get all year to do that. I'm not here for moral victories. Is the East a joke? Yes. Would anything less than a second-place finish next year in the Eastern Conference be a, a failure? Yes. But I'm not here for moral victories. I'm not here for, you know, uh, Ben Simmons is two years away and Markel Fultz is years away. I'm 24 hours removed from a scenario where we were about to have, or at least could have, uh, I don't know, fantasized about a super team that included LeBron James and Kawhi Leonard. And 24 hours later, I'm talking to you about where do the Sixers go from here? And all they've done this offseason, realistically, is getting is they've gotten worse. 
And so that that's where my dire straits is coming in. And so, yeah, like in the grand scheme of things, macro sense, Sixers are fine. LeBron's gone. The Eastern Conference is a lot lighter than it was. And it's it's going to be a much easier trek to get to the Eastern Conference Finals. But I'm not here for the Eastern Conference Finals. I'm here for this team developing and getting to the NBA Finals. I agree and with you right that, now, that, that right now, 24 hours in, hold on. I agree with you that from the draft till now, they've gotten worse. But it's it's July 2nd. Like, a lot can happen. A crazy trade can happen. Let's just not discount sure. how wild the NBA is. And the Sixers are still a very attractive team, despite the fact that three big guys this year all for some reason wanting to play for the Lakers, you know, for reasons I understand, but it's not the case every, it's not like every superstar wants to, is going to the Lakers. Like, there are other teams in the league that are desirable. You have guys like Paul George saying fucking Oklahoma City because of a player that's there. Like, you can lure other players. Well, the Sixers... You can get that super max. In, the in Sixers remain a very desirable location with flexibility and assets. So let's not, like... Foot, while let's be really disappointed, but let's not hit the panic button and let's not put a final grade on the offseason because things will happen. They will sign play well, whoever they are. Okay, well, like, not what I'm, I'm not saying they're going to be good, but to be to be clear, something wild can I'm still happen. As of this, okay? I'm saying as of this point, I know, and you're right. Things, they have gotten are, worse. Are a disaster. You should be disappointed. They're, they are a Kawhi Leonard trade away from me having a, a much different outlook on this. But kind of to a point that you just made, you know, are they in a, an attractive destination? Yes, unfortunately. Coming back to what I was saying before, unfortunately, the guys who can actually, you know, decide to come to this attractive team, there are many, there are many, many, many fewer of those than there were 24 hours ago. And again, that comes back to misreading the market. But I mean, right now, the the top free agents are DeMarcus Cousins, which wouldn't make sense here. Free agents like Marcus Smart, Clint Capella, Jabari Parker. That's not just something where a guy decides that they like the Sixers and sign. They're like for the the latter three, that's still you can sign an offer sheet and you can be out of luck if their team matches. And if you are the Rockets, you're gonna match anything with Clint Capella, which also wouldn't make sense here. If you're Boston, you probably let Marcus Smart go. But, you know, let's be honest, I, I don't know how Marcus Smart fits with this team. Uh defensively, I guess he makes sense. He can kind of shoot, like you know, maybe he makes sense, but then you're killing a lot of your uh, free agent cap for next year if you're trying to reload, you know, for another season. Th- this isn't a situation now where there are these other, you know, really good pieces on the unrestricted free agent market that can sign here. Uh, misreading the market and, and going all in on, on LeBron backfired massively right now. They're one big trade away from, you know, things turning around, but as of right now, they're worse than they were last year. I don't think that they're going to be done. Like, I don't think they're finished pursuing, uh, you know, a star in the trade market. Obviously, they can re-sign JJ. They can hope that another year of development, they can hope that Fultz's offseason plan and Ben's offseason plan, you know, includes them expanding their range and getting back to a level of comfort in the case of Fultz where, you know, if Fultz comes back and he's the guy that you drafted, then, then you're right. Yeah, then the Sixers are a, a much more legitimate team. All right, I but think that's we're, just, that that that's the most it's the most massive if. But this this team now there is a uh, I think we're going around in circles to, here. I think uh, well, I'm saying there there's an onus on this team now to recalibrate and go to Plan B or Plan C or Plan D, and you've got to explore the trade market. That's your only option now to really improve this team. Yep, I agree. On a positive note, the Flyers signed uh, James Van Riemsdyk. So yeah. that's exciting. We'll uh, cover that on Snow. Well, yeah, we'll cover it on Snow the goalie. I'm sure. You uh, will. It's a it's a big cap hit. It's like you know, it's a lot of money. Million dollars. 
seven seven million a year for five years, thirty five million dollar total. It uh it probably pushes Wayne Simmons out, but that's a big free agent signing. The Phillies just won three out of four against the Phillies, so we'll we'll recap that kind of stuff. They beat themselves this week on this show. Um, I I can't get into the Phillies. Bob and I recorded last Monday, and I tried to you know he tried to make the the pitch on why it's uh huh, the pitch. Uh, he tried to you know make the case for why people should tune into this Phillies team. And I feel like every time I'm in Slack, I'm not watching the Phillies. So when I'm in Slack and I see, oh, Tommy Hunter's in, oh, there goes Tommy Hunter or like the bullpen. They need to fix the bullpen. It's like every single game. Now I think I know how Bob felt during the uh, the postseason watching us, you know, bitch about the Sixers in, in Slack. The Phillies, look, I, I don't know how, you know, um, baseball is dominating conversations in other markets here. Obviously, this is not 27, 8, 9, 10, and 11 with the Phillies. Uh, and it's going to take them a little bit, even if they're good, to get back to, you know, being leading the conversation in Philly. But I, like, I keep, I feel like baseball's got, I, I'm like, they're not dead, whatever. But I think the Phillies got an issue because they are really good. And look at how easily the Sixers, granted, they got some superstars and that, you know, that, that, a lot of momentum and all that stuff. Uh, but look how easily they quickly, you know, rose up to the forefront of the conversation. The Phillies are going to be competing for a wild card spot this year. And the you know, and real baseball is back. And you know, for a town that just 5 6 years ago was debating whether this could be a baseball town, you know, and there was at least a reasonable debate to be had there briefly. You know, I think we're realizing how much of that was built upon you know, the team they had and not just the fact that they had won and were so good, but you know, those guys were all so likable. There was something for everybody. You know, they had every sort of background race demographic represented on that team. And they were all for the most part, pretty good guys. Um, you know, pretty relatable guys to different groups of the fan base and, you know, filling the park for 150 straight games, whatever it is that they did, you know, I, I, it's like it's disappointing because I'm kind of with you on the Phillies. I baseball has always been my number one sport, but I am finding it re- these last five years have really soured me on the game and on the Phillies because they went from being so good to so bad to so frustratingly stuck in the past. And now they've turned the they've definitely moved the ball forward, but it is really disappointing um, to see how you know rel- good they are and the fact they're still having trouble filling the ballpark. And I'm like, I am with you. I am a baseball guy and I have trouble. I cannot sit through a full baseball game right now. And I'm not even talking about picking up my phone and looking at it. Like I really struggle to sit down and watch two and a half, three hours of baseball. And I like, I don't know if that is a, you know, and every time I see someone wearing a Philly shirt, it is a guy with, it is a white guy with gray hair. And I, I don't know if how fitting. Yeah, but uh, but no, I, like no, I'm no, with you. Like, like they're good. We so should like, be talking about them. But they're having a real problem exciting the fan base. And maybe just because it's still before the All Star break, and we've had a lot to be distracted with this year. And maybe once they come back from the All Star break, it's the middle of the summer, and they're competing. The ballpark will definitely start filling up, and there will be a buzz will in it? this town come September. Will it it will. It, look, well, if, but Kyle, Kyle, they're I'm not saying they're, they're selling out, five, but but listen, they're they're eight games over five hundred. They're three games off the lead in the NL East. They are currently seventeenth in in Major League Baseball. They are averaging twenty six thousand six hundred ten fans per game. 
That's and what I'm saying. It's a problem. I like, bet you that's is... like that. That's like paid attendance. That might not even be that. Might be season tickets. Like when you look at that ballpark, it looks like what we used to chastise the Braves for having and the Marlins for having. Like that ballpark looks empty most days. I mean, behind home plate. Good God! Like what was it six years ago? You couldn't buy a seat for for less than like forty five bucks, and now like you can get in. I, I guess here's a here's a plug for one of our sponsors uh, on the site and Ticket IQ. But like you go on there and and like that post will go up. Like you can get good seats to this game, uh, this two game set that they've got coming against. Uh, so the Pirates, I forget who I wrote Orioles. it about. Um, the Orioles, okay, um, for like ten bucks, eleven bucks. Like that's. That's the kind of prices that you would see on the Phillies in like 06 or 05, like or not not 06. Or By the way, an interleague like, holiday 08, weekend. Yeah, an 9, inter 10, like six, an interleague holiday week, Fourth of July, nice weather. Granted, it is exceedingly hot, but you know, nice weather sort of thing. Yeah, it's look, it's a problem. Like, I look at. I was watching the promo for. Uh, Sunday night baseball last night on ESPN yesterday for the Red Sox Yankees. And they turn it into this thing about superhero. They're like, it's like, you know, superheroes and they're understudies fighting and they're going to great galactic battle, like trying to promote a Sunday night game between the Red Sox and Yankees. And I was like, I remember watching it. I, wa- I was actually going to take a picture and tweet it, but I didn't feel like getting off the couch or take a video and tweet it. But I was like, man, Baseball's got a problem here. I know, you know, I'm sure it's someone who works for ESPN putting together the promo package for that game. But this feels like cheesy. I mean, you got your, you got two really good teams on national TV. Should speak for itself. We got Red Sox, Yankees tonight. Two good, two of the best, biggest markets in baseball. Two of the best teams in baseball going at it. And they had to come up with this cheesy package. And it felt so stale compared to the way the NBA is promoted and just the, the straight machine that the NFL is. You know, you could just say, hey, there's an NFL game tonight and people will watch. And it feels like they are trying so hard to reach young people and they're really having trouble. And and you look at – go ahead. Sports betting is the only thing that's going to save baseball. I, I was – that's – Or I, I agree. I, I think it's, it's, it's sports betting and as much as the baseball purists hate it, they've got to speed up the – they have to speed up play. I don't know if it's a pitch I, clock, but they've they've got to get these games done in two hours, two and a half max. This generation and and this just changing consumer market is not going to sit through three and a half hours. If you hit a rain delay, like nobody's sitting through a rain delay. You know what I mean? Like it hits rain delay, you change the channel, you never flip back. But I agree with baseball, you. I was at the game. Baseball is in is in a a massive fork in the road that they've they've got to figure it out. I was at the game last week. They won 11 innings. Now, Grant, I live far. Um, it takes me almost 90 minutes to get to the ballpark from where I live in Bucks County. And I used to live by the, you know, I grew up in Springfield and Delco and could be home in 18 minutes late at night. So, you know, we would always stay till the end. We don't do that anymore because it's, you know, I couldn't get up the next early. My wife is pregnant, like could not stay for a three and a half hour game and get home at 1215 for a regular season baseball game. It's just not feasible. So, you know, I'm probably the exception there, but the games, you're right. They're too long. I saw someone, um, tweet last week and I was actually thinking this at the game I was at, they should, they should just go to seven innings and the purists would, would fucking hate it. But look what the NBA did over the last year or two. I forget if it was this season or last season where they got rid of like at least two timeouts, a half, I believe. I mean, NBA games are done in like two hours, 20 to 30 tops. I mean, they're almost like watching a college basketball game. Soccer, two hours. 
People say soccer moves slow, but guess what? It, it's you're guaranteed a two-hour game. And baseball's got a problem. You could do that for NFL, where there's 16 games and you can make a day out of it, and going to the game and it could it could be a half a day event, and you know you could stay up late and watch one game a week. You can't do that with baseball. I think they have a problem there. I think all their ancillary things. You know, you got the commissioner trying to suppress this video that was good viral buzz. You have the Phillies and Major League Baseball, um, the, you know, forcing us to take down our ticket contest. We've done ticket contests for every other sport, have never had a problem. Um, deciding to choose that battle, which I get, okay, but we had to choose a a, a cash winner because we were not allowed to give away Phillies tickets. You have um, uh, one other thing. I was Oh, guy yesterday falls on the field after sitting through 12 hundred degree innings trying to get his son a ball barely falls onto the field and gets kicked out before the walk-off home run and you have Phillies ushers you know and granted that's not the team or the league's fault we have these sort of like just ridiculous policies not saying they should let people on the field but like it feels like they always come up small in these little situations and it's all these little things that they do to irritate a younger fan base or even in in that case like be a little fan hostile um I think they got a real. I think they had a real problem, and it sucks because the Phillies are good, and I'm with you. I have trouble sitting down and watching a game, and really am only like fully engrossed when Nola or Arietta are dealing because you know that is, you know, it's tough. It's tough. They got a problem. We'll talk more about it this summer. All right. Well, uh, for uh, for Kyle at Crossing Broad, I'm Russ at Joy on Broad. For more about the Phillies, don't forget to check out Crossed Up, a Phillies podcast, tomorrow with uh, Bob and Anthony. Of course, uh, Snow the Goalie this week will be breaking down the JVR signing and anything else that happens in NHL free agency or the trade market. Crossing Broad FC will record another time this week uh, recapping the knockout stage of the World Cup. There have already been some pretty big upsets, including yesterday, Russia knocked off Spain. That was pretty big. Pretty, pretty big. And uh, it's always soccer in Philadelphia with Kevin Kincaid, Dave Zeitlin. That'll be going out this weekend as well. So uh, there'll be plenty more to, uh, to discuss. Let us know on Twitter how you feel. LeBron is gone. Kawhi is probably gone. Paul George is off the uh, the market. Where do the Sixers go from here? And uh, how do you see the season, you know, as it stands right now? Do you feel good about the offseason the Sixers have had? And uh, what would you do if you were Brett Brown and uh, part of this front office triumvirate? Until uh, Wednesday, I'm Russ. That's Kyle. Thanks for listening.